0: Live from Southern California,
1: this is the Jim Rome Show. Welcome
2: to the Daily Jungle. Hope you backed it in, denimed it up, and finished the week strong. Because the Dolphins didn't, even after Kiko Alonso tried to decapitate Joe Flacco and Indomitian Sioux attempted to choke slam Ryan Mallett, the Ravens still drop a 40 to donut on the Finns. Ton of show today. Big day on the phones. We had Mark in Hollywood come in. Silk Broad continued his beef on Twitter with Elk. And both guys called into the show. Elk was Elk, and he brought it once again. And we had three excellent guests. Robert Klemko of the MMQB, Ladarius Webb of the Baltimore Ravens, and MLB on Fox reporter CJ Nikowski. That and Alvin's week that was, with Alvy back at full strength, made for a tremendous day. Alvin, go ahead and get it. Let's start with last night's game. Wild game last night. Now, there have been some good games on Thursday Night Football, and there have been some bad games on Thursday Night Football, and then there were the Miami Dolphins last night. It's not even that they lost 40 to nothing, or that Kiko Alonso nearly took off Joe Flacco's head, or that Indominus Sue nearly went Undertaker choke slam on Ryan Mallett, or that they couldn't run the ball, or that they couldn't pass the ball. Well, actually... It's all of those things, and yet it's still so much worse. Remember when all those Dolphin fans were cheering when Jay Cutler got injured because they couldn't wait to see Matt Moore? Yeah, well, you got the full-on Matt Moore experience last night, and it was just what you should have expected. He's Matt Moore. 25 of 44, 176 yards. Not great. Neither is the fact that that on four of Miami's first 10 possessions, they gained negative yardage. San Francisco Giants starting pitcher Matt Moore would have moved that offense better than Miami Dolphin Matt Moore did. However, however, give him this, he did manage to hook up with C.J. Mosley for this touchdown. A pass
3: is intercepted. C.J. Mosley. Mosley down the left side. Mosley to the 20, to the 10. Mosley hit from behind, stumbles into the end zone. Touchdown Ravens. C.J. Mosley swallowed up the football and turned it into a score.
2: Westwood won. So give him out more of that. He did hook up with C.J. Mosley. Of course, C.J. Mosley does not play for his team. But wait, wait, it still gets worse. Because Moore was not done giving out early Halloween treats. He still had time to squeeze in this one to Jimmy Smith. Go the other way. Jimmy Smith with the pick.
3: Six. Touchdown, Ravens. A dominant effort by Baltimore tonight over Miami.
2: Two pick sixes in a single game? Are we sure that wasn't Matt Schaub in a Matt Moore costume? Then after the game, Moore was very philosophical "Quote: This is tough. It's tough. These,
0: these are these are hard ones. Uh, you don't ever, you know, go into a week preparing and expect it to turn out like this. Um, you know, I don't have much to say right now. Uh, it's um, it's just tough. It's tough. We uh, we got to figure some stuff out. I got to figure some stuff
2: out. Wait, there was preparation in the buildup of that game. He prepared for that game because it sure didn't look like it." It looked like a bunch of dudes who just showed up at the stadium, found out they were wearing matching uniforms, and decided to play a football game. How bad was Matt Moore? Jake Cutler went from being the problem to the solution. That's how bad Matt Moore was. But it wasn't all bad for the Dolphins. Some of it was terrible, like Kiko Alonso's hit on Joe Flacco.
0: Third and ten for Joe Flacco. Out of the pocket. Flacco on
3: the move. Flacco trying to run. 15, 10.
2: Oh, he gets hit hard! Loses the helmet.
3: Flags down everywhere. The ball popped free. Kiko Alonzo. He crushed Flacco. Slow to get up.
2: That was brutal. I mean, that was really brutal. Flacco was sliding. He clearly had given himself up, and Alonzo still buried him. That should have been a textbook case for ejection. But apparently it's not. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not looking for a guy to get ejected, fined, or suspended. But if a quarterback is in his slide, and he gets blown up, and he gets his helmet knocked off, and appears to be practically out on the field, and he immediately goes right into concussion protocol, if that doesn't warrant an ejection, then what does? I get that officials are reluctant to eject players, but that's the only way you're going to get hits like that out of the game. It may have been acceptable a few years back, but the game has changed. Then again, if you ask Kiko, that was not on him. It was on Flacco. He said, quote, it was bang, bang. It got to a point where I thought maybe if he slid a a second sooner, I was anticipating him to slide and I was not going to hit him. It was a second late, which is why I hit him. End quote. You know, he's got a good point. He really does. To hear Kiko tell it, Flacco probably should have been ejected for his slide. The timing of his slide was off, which is why he slid into Kiko Alonso and nearly got decapitated. The whole point of a quarterback sliding is that he's giving himself up. You do not have to tackle him at that point, and you certainly do not have to blow him up. And then that brings us to Indomitian Sue, who by all accounts has been on his best behavior since arriving in Miami. Well, until last night. First, there was that unnecessary roughness penalty for pinning offensive lineman Ryan Jansen. Then in the fourth quarter, Sue jumps offsides. He pushes Ryan Mallet, who had already handed off the ball. And then when Mallett came back at him with a chest bump, Sue grabbed him by the throat. Seems like a pretty crazy escalation coming from the guy who committed the penalty in the first place. But if you ask Sue, it was all very reasonable. Simple as this.
1: He came at me, tried to attack me, and I'm protecting myself.
2: He came at me, tried to attack me, and I'm protecting myself. Simple as this. He came at you. You jumped offside and shoved him after he'd already handed the ball off. By very definition, you came at him. Of course, he's going to get irritated by that and bump you. And then you brought your grenade launcher to that knife fight by grabbing him by his throat. Or let me guess, you were just going Bobby Knight on the dude, looking to reposition him on the field by his throat. Makes total sense. Just like everything else the Dolphins did last night. Now here's the one thing that I really can't figure out. How the hell did this team go into last night with a 4-2 record? How did they win one game, let alone four games? Every team can have a bad night, but that was a horrible night. And from the looks of it, Adam Gaze has a nightmare on his hands, and Jay Cutler, believe me, is the smallest part of that nightmare. Ladarius Webb is my guest. Ladarius, nice to have you back. Thanks so much for joining us. How are you? All right. Thanks for having me on. Always good to have you on. All right, so you had a big game last night. Now, coming into that game, though, the team had dropped two straight. So I'm curious, what was the mood like in the locker room and around the facility in the build-up to last night's game?
4: Um, I actually thought that, uh, we had good energy uh, to be coming off um, – to a Um, um It was kind of tough on us, but I've seen the guys uh, just working harder and harder, you know, during the, the weeks, you know. So, I'm like, we couldn't figure out, you know, what was going on, you know, what's wrong. Um, you know, we have the talent, you know, we have the guys, we have the quarterback, you know, we have the offensive line, and D-line, but we just wasn't being consistent. But last night uh, we kind of just showed what we could be. So, um, hopefully we can build off that.
2: All right, so from the defensive side of the ball, you go out there and you absolutely dominate Miami. You hold them to less than 200 yards. You return two picks for touchdowns and you post the biggest shutout in franchise history. So what do you make of the way the defense showed up last night?
4: Oh man, the defense was ready, man. The front seven, man. Uh, They came to play and um, that's the way they practice. You know, it all starts in practice and how you prepare in the the meeting rooms and uh, everybody with full focus and we knew what we had to do this week, and uh, the guys came out full of energy, tackling, gang tackling, and, and playing physical, playing racing football. And we got a little physical last night, and uh, that's our style of football, and we like that.
2: Ladarius Webb joining us. Now, Eric Weddle is famous for his post-victory ice cream feast. Did you treat yourself to anything after a big win like that?
4: Mm, no, nah, I didn't treat anything.
2: No, treat. Um, treat. Did you treat Eric yourself?
4: about – but missed tackles and stuff like that. Um he he put it on his shoulders. And um, you know, we take that from Eric Weddle, uh, because he's our leader. You know, uh, great players like him, um, he missed a tackle because he was going to try to make a great play. And then sometimes when guys are great players are trying to make great plays, you know, things happen. You know, it's a it's a chance. And he he was going for the rip and um the guy got the long run and he tweeted and said it was his fault and and as a team we see that and we, we that's our leader he takes responsibility um for what he's done and uh, came back and worked harder and harder man and um respect him
2: The Darius Webb Absolutely Absolutely I think I confused you and I confused tweet with treat I was talking about also oh. his treat you know his ice cream treats like he likes to oh. get after all the ice oh, cream yeah, you right did. I, I, So I'm saying bad. Yeah, not at all it, I could see where you'd make that, where you'd think that after the way I said that. So my question is, did you treat yourself to anything? If he goes hard on the ice cream, No, didn't I have did to win not. Like I, just,
4: I, w- I was happy, man. I went to the house. It was kind of late. Um, today, I might treat myself.
2: There you go. There you go. The Darius Webb joining us. All right, so the game got really physical, and then maybe it went beyond physical and over the line. What was your reaction when you saw Kiko Alonso hit Joe Flacco the way he did?
4: Um, I thought it was... Uh...
2: It was it was rough, and you know I was like,
4: man. But I can't blame Kiko. I'm a I'm a defensive player myself, and um, I'm one of those players that goes 110 percent. You know, and sometimes when you go, you're a player that goes that fast. Things like that happen. Um, you know, we can't say he's a dirty player. You know, uh, it was it looked dirty. Um, it was a bad hit on Joe, but I'm not gonna say he's a dirty player, man. Because Kiko, he always played. Um, Played good, you know, played 110%. And that's what you like as a football player. But um, it was a rough hit, and I'm sure the NFL is going to have that.
2: Yeah, there's that line, right? I mean, there's rough play, and then there's dirty play, and then there's are you a dirty guy or you're not. I mean, can you make a dirty play without being a dirty player? Is that possible?
4: I think so. I think so. I mean, when you're in the heat of the battle, I think sometimes you you have that dirty attitude. You know, you want to be nasty out there. So sometimes even good people – uh good players non-dirty players can can kind of push that line sometimes because they want to make something happen they want to go above make that uh big play make that big hit so in a time of action man uh, I don't really think it's too many dirty players out there I just think it's some passionate guys
2: with Darius Webb joining us. Now, when you and I spoke before the start of the year, we talked about how your role might be different this season, and I ran down your stats at the top of this interview. You already have a career high in sacks. You have two picks. You've had a forced fumble. You're having an impact all over the field. What has this season been like for you so far?
4: Uh, it means a lot, man. Um, I got the guys around me uh, that fits well with me, man. Bringing in Thompson Jefferson and having Eric Weddle um, with Brandon Carr and Jimmy Smith locking it down and a first rounder and Marlon Humphreys to come in and be able to play the way he's playing. I'm able to just move around and be the football player that I am. You know, I'm able to blitz a little bit, play a little cover one, play a little cover two, you know, just play football, play fast. And with those, the greatness around me, man, it, it helps me become, help me make plays. And um, I kind of just put, take my hat off to the guys around me, man. CJ Mosley, the way he play, plays and flies around to the ball, it's addictive. And the defense plays off plays that.
2: Listen, I got to be honest. I knew you'd answer it that way. I knew that you would kind of deflect the credit from yourself and give it to the guys around you. But when you're having the success that you've had so far this season, is there any part of you that wants to turn around to folks who maybe doubted whether or not you still had it at this level and say, okay, how do you like me right now?
4: Yeah, man. Yeah, I would love. I guess I would love to rub it in people's face. But right now, man, I just want to continue doing good, uh, staying focused. Um, and try to get this team to a playoff um, and continue this defense plan um, the way we're supposed to be playing. Um, when the end of the season and all that come, and I'm able to see what, how the season go, maybe maybe i look back and say, I showed y'all boys. But right now, man, uh, I just want to be focused and just try to get better we, we got the week after week.
2: With Darius Webb joining us, I get that. I understand that. All right, before you go, let me go off the board for a moment. I know you're a big NBA fan. Who are some of the players and teams that you like to watch?
4: Oh, um, I'm a Lonzo Ball fan. I'm a, i am um, I like the Lakers. Um, I started liking the Lakers because of Kobe Bryant. Um, so now Lonzo comes, he got all my attention. But since I'm on the East Coast, i mean, um It's the Washington Wizards. You know John Wall and um, Bradley Beal. I'm a fan of those guys.
2: All right, so what do you make of the matchup?
4: Yeah, I like basketball, and i um, tell the truth, I really think the Warriors are gonna win it again.
2: It's hard to argue that. All right, so if you were a Kobe guy, I gotta think there's a lot of guys in your locker room that are NBA fans. Also, are there more LeBron guys or Kobe guys or maybe Jordan guys in your locker room? How does that break
4: down? No, LeBron. LeBron takes over our locker room. Uh, we got me and Weldo. We the Lakers guys.
2: We like the Lakers.
4: Uh, but yeah, LeBron has our locker room completely. I think, yeah, completely.
2: Ladarius Webb joining us. All right, last thought. Earlier this month, you and the fam went to Disney on ice for your birthday. I've got to know, how did that go? What was that like?
4: Oh, man, it was awesome. It was actually our second time, but uh, we enjoyed it the first time so much. uh, We just wanted to take them back. And my little girl, she's one. She's got a little older. I think it was like six months older than when she seen it the first time. So maybe we, we thought she'll maybe remember, you know, enjoy this when they leave.
2: Good job. I like that. Hey, listen, if you've got a few extra days now, because you played on a Thursday, you've got a couple of extra days, how does that set up? I mean, is that like a mini vacation within the season? It's not a bye week per se, but how do you approach that extra time? And do you have extra time?
4: I mean, I enjoy it because, you know, we play that Sunday and we play so quick that Thursday. Um, you not really don't have enough time to kind of get, get your body back together, get your mind, you know, get get everything back together. So, this four days here is basically just get some rest, get your body back together. And um, Coach gave us a few days off to get our body together. So, now we just got to be responsible and do the right thing.
2: Right, so, finally, is it worth it to you? I mean, is it worth it to have those four days, or would you just assume not play Thursdays ever?
4: Um, I'm going to go both ways. I mean, I would hate I hate to kind of play back-to-back that way, but I love the mini-bye week. It's like a, a mini-bye and um, that's kind of good when you're playing um, 17 games in a season, well, 17, 20-some games in a season. So um, that's helpful when you got that extra sort of a buy.
2: Robert Klemko is my guest. Robert, great to have you back. How are you? I'm great, thanks, thanks for having me good to have you. All right, let, me, let me start with the Atlanta Falcons. They came into the season, Robert, coming off that collapse in the Super Bowl. They promptly go out. They win their first three games. When they got their season off to a start like that, what kind of thoughts were you having about them as a team and their chances of going back to the Super Bowl to right that wrong?
5: Well, I think it was always going to be really tough for them. Uh, there are not many teams in the Super Bowl era who have gone to the big game and then come back the next year uh, with both a new offensive and defensive coordinator. And not only that, an offensive coordinator hired from the outside, somebody who wasn't a part of the success the prior year. So I don't think anybody expected them to start as slow as they did, but it would have been far-fetched to expect them to show up with the number one offense in football again. There was always going to be a learning curve for Steve Sarkeesian, um, but I think it's taking a little bit longer than Atlanta fans had hoped.
2: Yeah, so what about that? I mean, they're they're better arguably defensively, but they're not as good offensively, and it's not even close. I mean, since... Those three games that they won, they've dropped three straight, including that ugly 23-7 to loss to the Patriots in Foxborough. It would have been, as you point out, a tall order for them to match last year's production. But what have you made of what you've seen from the offense? Exactly what is going on offensively with that team?
5: Well, I think that Sarkeesian wanted to make it a little bit more horizontal. Um, and, and I think that the times that they've gone deep this season have been late in games when there's a little bit more desperation and they're a little bit more predictable. Uh, they were the best team off of play-action last year. Um, and Matt Ryan was incredible. His passer rating was higher in, in play-action than any scenario. And yet this year they still have a strong running game and haven't had that kind of success on play-action. And I, I think it speaks to um, how qualified and how good Kyle Shanahan was um, at running that offense. But if you'll remember, it took him time as well. You know, in 2015, the year that he and Dan Quinn arrived, That offense struggled, and and Matt Ryan, I believe, threw 16, 17 interceptions, and people talked about him as though he weren't going to ever be that uh, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning-type quarterback. Um, But a year later, they're in the Super Bowl with the best offense in the league. So I think Atlanta fans just need to have a little bit more patience with this team.
2: Robert Klemko joining us. All right, so one more thought about that. If you had to guess, how much of this is on Steve Sarkeesian, and how much of this is on Matt Ryan?
5: Well, yeah, I mean, it's hard to uh, go back and break down that Foxborough game just because of the fog, but um, you remember early on in that game a couple big misses by Ryan where uh, in the red zone he could have had a couple touchdowns if he just put the ball in the right place, and I think that's happened a few times this season. I think he's been less accurate deep. You wonder if there's something going on um, with his health that they're not disclosing. I mean, they're 4 of 23 on balls that travel more than 20 yards downfield, and that's not really Matt Ryan's. Um, So I think there's a lot more to it than just blaming Steve Sarkeesian.
2: Speaking of the red zone, how is it possible that Julio Jones went into that game against the Patriots with zero red zone targets for the entire year?
5: It's kind of bizarre, and it's not like Austin Hooper has emerged as a a huge red zone weapon either. I mean, in that game, in the Super Bowl, he abused Patrick Chung. I, I think he had six catches, and in this game he only had one, I believe. So uh, it's, it's confusing what they're doing on offense. I don't think they're using their tools the right way. And, and when they are, um, either throwing it deep to Julio, uh, throwing in the red zone to Julio, or you know, putting Taylor Gabriel in a position where he can use his speed, it, it looks predictable and kind of haphazard, like there's no rhythm to it. And I think the players feel that as well.
2: Robert Klemko joining us. All right, so one more thought about Sark. The fans have been clamoring for him to get fired. Is there any chance that that would actually happen?
5: I don't think there's any chance, um, just because the, the team sources that I talked to this week all echoed the same thing. You know, we went through this before with Shanahan. There was a learning curve in 2015, and we feel that Steve Sarkeesian is, is capable of running this offense, and, and he just needs time. So I don't think it's in, in Dan Quinn's history or his personality to make a, a change like that in the middle of a season.
2: All right, so let me move on to the Carolina Panthers. Robert, what did you make of how Cam Newton handled his presser earlier this week?
5: It's pretty bizarre. Um, You know, I think we can all agree uh, that press conferences are are a little trite and and can be boring and and seem like an unnecessary chore for a lot of players. But there are reporters, you know, like myself, um, who come up in this industry trying to get great press uh, questions and answers in press conferences. Um, The question from Joe Person, Charlotte Observer, great reporter, was a little bit bland, um, but it wasn't negative. And it's a question that 31 other quarterbacks in the league – provide some generic answer to, and simply move on. But with Cam, for some reason, it always has to be a thing. You would think a guy who just got, uh, you know, in, in trouble for uh, denigrating a female reporter would two weeks later know how to handle a press conference in a way that didn't make a headline.
2: Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I mean, like, if you had to guess what's going on in this guy's head, why, why is that so off-putting to him? You know, and again, what do you make of the team saying, Cam thought that he had already done what he had to do. He was out there for nine and a half minutes, so then he was just done. I mean, do you buy that on any level that he just bounced because he was done? Yeah.
5: No, I don't buy that. I mean, obviously he was soured by the question and and walked away. Um, You you have to wonder if he's still impacted by the way that they lost uh, that Super Bowl against the Denver Broncos and the way a lot of fans outside of Carolina um, painted him with a, a, a brush of somebody who's a quitter, um, and I, I think he soured on the media at large at that point and wanted to insulate himself within that Carolina Panthers building. But when you're an NFL quarterback, you're the face of the franchise. I mean, he got drafted with uh, the team owner telling him, please don't get any tattoos, right? His whole career is stage managed on, on the public, on the public uh, you know, sphere. So I, I think that he has to understand that um, you know, he can have that Aaron Rodgers type of insulation, but also be amicable with the press.
2: Robert Klemko joining us. All right, before you go, you mentioned Aaron Rodgers. Robert, we've got a lot of Packers fans listening. The Packers are off until November 6th when they take on Detroit, but you went bow hunting with Aaron Rodgers' replacement, <laughs> Brett Hundley, last year. First off, how did that trip come about, and what was that like? <laughs> We did
5: a week of Green Bay uh, Packers stories last year with uh, three or four of us staying in an Airbnb in Green Bay, and it was a lot of fun. Um, and just writing all about the culture of football in Green Bay. And if you can't go bow hunting with Aaron Rodgers, you go bow hunting with his backup, right? Oh, right. That guy is eventually going to be a guy. So uh, Brett Hundley was kind enough to do it, um, and he's one of those guys. It's like win in Rome, you know. I've never been hunting before, but I live in Green Bay, Wisconsin, so I'm going to try it out. Um, So we sat up in the tree blind, didn't catch anything. It was very cold. Um, But he talked about afterwards something that was really interesting to me in that he thinks Aaron Rodgers and the way that he has treated Hundley um, in in the locker room, in preparation, throughout their, their time together, is influenced by the way Brett Favre treated Rodgers in the beginning. He treated him as competition. So Rodgers wanted to do the opposite of that and really accommodate Hundley um, and I think that Hundley has really shown great strides in that offense in the preseason. And now he's got to put it together when the defense isn't running uh, you know, a pretty bland scheme and not game planning for, for him. The thing that surprised me about the Saints game is that they, they did a lot of their most successful running with Aaron Jones out of uh, with the quarterback being under center, out of eye formation. And then when they were in shotgun, you know, it was a little bit more predictable what they were about to do. They were about to put the ball in the hands of Hundley. Um, I think what Hundley had so much success with at UCLA is being in the shotgun, having the threat of runner pass, and running run-pass option plays where, you know, he can make that choice right there based on reading the defense. You've got the running game. You've got the offensive line. Put him in a system that he's familiar with, at least for this, you know, last half of the season.
2: All right, so do you think they will? Do you think they'll make that adjustment, and can they still be a playoff team with him under center?
5: You know, it's hard to say. I mean, you, you think back to last preseason, and he looked like the heir apparent. I mean, he was infallible. Um, and then you look back at this game, and, and he's all over the place. He's missing reads, he's missing throws. Um, I think there were, you can chalk some of that up to nerves, um, but it's hard to make excuses for a guy when you've got your running back averaging seven yards a clip going over 100 yards. Uh, And your defense is holding Drew Brees to the kind of production that they did. I mean, at some point, you you know, you've got to make the five or six throws to win.
2: Robert, you've been awesome with your time. Let me ask you one more thing. You had a piece last week about the NFL struggle with individuality and the tension between the league having stars and those stars having personalities and opinions, especially in social media. So how does that tension play out?
5: Yeah, well, you know, you make the comparison with the NBA and, and a lot of people have done that, but... I use the example um, of the you know, cottage industry that has sprouted around the shoes that they wear during games. There are websites that their sole purpose is to cover the shoes that players are wearing in the NBA. Whereas in the NFL, if you're not wearing Nike shoes, they have to be taped over. Um, there's no room or there's less room for individual branding and marketing in the NFL. And I think that what you're seeing um, with the anthem protests and with speaking out about social issues is a bit of a backlash against that culture the nba doesn't get in trouble with players for having a rule that you have to stand for the anthem because they have so much freedom otherwise nfl players who don't have that freedom whose careers almost always end in injury and average two or three years um are, are kind of fighting back against this anonymity that's been enforced
3: upon them
2: mark what's up good morning
3: yeah what's cracking man i'm pretty hyped for uh, penn state to beat a high state this weekend Just can't wait for that game But, uh, yeah, I just wanted to touch on that uh, Bob McNair report that came out this morning. Uh, Bob, you didn't even get the quote right. It's inmates running the asylum, not the prison. If you use the quote correctly, maybe it might be easier to overlook what uh, can't let the cock and pickers run the cotton farm didn't want any of that. And while I know that's the huge takeaway from that report, Jim, what should be the most offensive, not only to players and minorities, but to also to Joe's six-pack of flag numbers, is what good old Jarrett said, indicating that the only reason he cares about players kneeling is that it's bad for business, which promptly got a hear-hear from that rat Fink Snyder, who if he had his way, the redskin mascot would be a depiction of a pilgrim extending his hand in friendship to an Indian, while another pilgrim is sneaking up behind him with a gun. I mean, how's that grab you, you sergeant slaughters who are yelling for players to not kneel for the anthem? That your boy Jarrah could give a crap about your faux patriotism, but only his bottom line? That must really piss you off, Lieutenant Liberties, that he's less Leo DiCaprio from Django Unchained and more Scrooge McDuck. For the last time, no one is protesting the military and first responders. Some minorities don't see the, the anthem. You do. We see social injustice and discrimination starting at the local levels and penetrating to the highest office in the land. You see an excuse to get your fat ass off the couch and fill up that Cheetos trough while scratching your crotch and ignoring your spouse's pleas to work on your crap marriage. We're not telling you not to chug your tenth natty light while you ignore your derelict kids sneaking out of your trailer to huff paint for those three minutes, so don't tell us to not link arms and kneel in peaceful, respectful demonstration. And if you feel that butthurt about it, Captain America, Corporal Constitution, if you don't like the rights afforded to American citizens to peacefully protest the rights this country was founded on, the same rights that you conveniently forget the men and women of the military fight and die to protect, then I've got one solution for you. Get your obese, unpatriotic ass Out of my country because you're a drain on resources and we don't want you. Ohio
2: State sucks. And Ohio State sucks. (laughs) Talking about the media is not my thing. But Steve Smith Sr. is. Now I'm on record with this. I love this guy. He's always been one of my favorite athletes and one of my favorite interviews. And I'm not sure I've ever seen. And the reason for that is because I'm not sure I've ever seen anybody in life athlete, entertainer, or otherwise, that runs on the kind of fuel that this guy does. I admit uh, I'm I'm amazed by it. Like what I would give to have some of that. How do you bottle that? How do you sell that? Where does that come from? And I've always been fascinated by it. I'm not sure I've ever seen a guy who runs on the kind of fuel that Steve Smith does. The guy's fierce. He's savage. And an unbelievable player, I think. And even at 5 foot 9, one of the most intimidating guys in the history of the planet. Oh, and the one and only guy to ever drop a butthole blast on this show.
4: I read some of that to fuel my fire say, you know, if you don't think I'm good enough, let's let's see this butthole come ask me to uh, do an interview for him.
2: That was a young Steve Smith. That was early in his career on Radio Row. When I asked him, do you read that stuff? And this was long before there was social and things like that. I said, do you read it? He said, sure do. Sure do. Let's see that butthole roll up on me. So, another reason why I like him. He's the one and only guy ever to drop a butthole blast on this show. Actually, that's not true. Boo Weekly did as well. I mean, for me,
4: experience as long as I've been playing, uh, I've never played in wins that strong. I mean, it was... Them last three holes, man, I mean, it made your butthole poker up.
2: All right, so we had those two guys. Actually, that's not even true. It's not just two. Now that I think about it, there is a whole butthole montage but Butthole. 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 Is it me or is that Bella B at the end of that montage? Butthole. 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 Anyway. Anyway, I love this guy. But he's not everybody's cup of tea. None of us are. But everybody knows this is not a dude that you want to be on the wrong side of. Not the kind of guy you want to agitate. Especially since, to me, Steve Smith is generally minding his own business and not looking to start anything with anybody else. He'll finish it if you start it, but he's not looking to start anything. And if you caught any of that pregame show last night, it's possible that Michael Irvin may have purchased some beachfront real estate on the wrong side of Steve Smith Sr. Now for context, Steve is on location for the Baltimore game. Michael Irvin is back in studio. And Mike seemingly been giving Steve a hard time for the plaid pants that he'd been wearing. So Mike sets up like he's about to apologize for it. That his wife wanted him to make good with Steve, and here's how it played out on NFL Network. I gotta apologize. My wife loves you, and she got mad at me for messing with you. She's
4: going to make me sleep on the couch if I mess if I mess with you anymore. So I'm not going to say anything about those pants you have on. I'm not going to say anything. About those pants. You yeah, know what, Mike? I'm, I'm going to let you know mate. right now. When right. I come <laughs> when I come to LA, I'm going to whoop your ass. <laughs> and, and you know
3: what? His wife, his, Steve's I, wife, he's his pants. So, so I don't think Steve's wife is going to have a problem with you as well, Mike. Oh, you're I'm in
4: the tell you, don't be me on, on the couch. I'm going ju- to just whoop your ass when I see you. Buddy. You I, just put on the couch. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I got no time for this.
2: All right. So he said it twice. He said it twice. So, Mike. Mike kind of went with that fake apology. Like, my wife, my wife loves you, and she says I got to apologize, and she's going to make me sleep on the couch. So they're all yucking it up, having a good old time with it, laughing about it. But notice Steve Smith was the one guy not laughing, the one person on that set who was not laughing, the one person on that show who was not laughing. And he said, when I come to L.A., I'm going to whoop your ass. When I come to L.A., I'm going to whoop your ass. So Mike's still laughing, like, I'm trying to apologize here. Marshall Falk is laughing, but Steve Smith isn't, and he said it again. When I come to L.A., I'm going to whoop your ass. And then he chased it with, I got no time for this. And when he said, I'm going to whoop your ass, he was not smiling when he said it. Let's be clear about that. Steve Smith was not smiling. So either he's the best method actor of all time or he's actually going to whoop Mike's ass when he comes to L.A. I'm
4: going to just whoop your ass when I see you. <laughs> well,
2: that's funny. I don't know. He looked dead serious to me. And I think, you know, Steve Smith, Steve Smith, I think, to a certain extent, mellowed out a little bit. We all do as we get older. But that guy is still who he is. Fierce, savage, and proud. And if you're going to clown him, do so at your own risk. I don't know. Look, I'm not in that house. I don't know the dynamic. I don't know the relationship. I don't know how serious Steve really was. But I know how serious Steve really is. And while everybody else was yucking it up and laughing, he didn't crack a smile. Now, I know Mike a little bit, too. Mike's not afraid. Mike's not backing down. Mike's not afraid. Except in this case, maybe he should be. So I don't know how this plays out. I don't know what happens next. Maybe they're just pimping each other. Maybe that's how these guys do roll on that show. Or... Or maybe Steve is going to come LA, get off that plane, and try to whoop Mike's ass. I'm
4: gonna just whoop your ass when I see (laughs) this.
2: You have to understand. You have to see the video to fully appreciate the context of it. My man is not smiling when he says that. He looks very serious. So whatever that was last night, whatever that was, you know, maybe in jest, maybe not. Maybe he was 100% serious. Whatever it was, it was awesome because it was awkward and uncomfortable. Awkward. And I'll tell you this: it was way better than anything that happened during that game. See, think about Michael Irvin. Michael Irvin is one of the best to ever do it. A Hall of Famer, an unbelievable player, an unbelievable wide receiver. If anybody could talk junk to Steve Smith, also a great player, an unbelievable player, but if anybody could talk junk to Steve Smith about receiving, maybe it's Mike. He's a Hall of Famer. A Hall of Fame wide receiver. But not a Hall of Fame clothier or a Hall of Fame tailor. And he should not be going in on Steve Smith for what he's wearing, man. That can only end badly. 89, bottom line. 89, bottom line. When are dudes going to learn, leave 89 alone. Unless you want a busted jaw. When I come to L.A., I'm going to whoop your ass. Again, you have to see this. He's not laughing. He's not smiling when he said that. And he said it twice. And he also said, I ain't got no time for this. I don't know. All I'm saying is this. These guys might be kidding around. But maybe they're not. I just That's not a dude that I would try. Believe me, Steve Smith does not have time for that BS. Even if Mike just was pimping him. Have you seen the video? What do you make of that? What do you think that was? Dear Jimmos, I don't care how many Super Bowl rings you have. You don't mess with Steve Smith. When will people ever learn? I got no time for this. I got no time for this means it's go time. That's what that means. I I got got no no time time for this. this. I don't know how you could be any more clear than when I come to L.A., I'm going to whoop your ass. I don't got no time for this. That sounds to me like go time. But then again, I don't want to overreact to it. Maybe there's a dynamic that I'm not aware of. Silk, what's up, brah?
6: What's up, brah? Shout out to Mark. That was awesome, brah. Even back in the day, other clergymen thought that MLK was, uh, was doing too much, brah. Um, all you mouth breathers, just read a letter from a Birmingham jail. Now, um, in terms of Cam Newton, brutal, brah, you, uh, you explained how Matt Moore messed the bed last night. He stood there and took questions afterwards. Cam, if he can do that, you can do it. Now, brah, of course it's all about Dodgers-Astros. This has been awesome. and i got to shout out to my fellow bro in Bourbon, Steve Elkington. Elk and I are tight. You know that, brah. Had an awesome Twitter beef all through the game uh, on Game 2. We're going to be doing the same tonight. Elk said he was going to try and call the show today. Elk, you're on the clock. I'm shouting out to you. Um, If you want to follow Elk and I on Twitter, we have Epic Battles. But I find it funny, Astro fans now, they think, oh, the Dodgers' bullpen can be hit. We now know we can hit the bullpen. Well, if you use your same logic, then Dodger fans know that your best two starters can be beat. The Dodgers beat Keikel, and when Verlander left the game, he was losing. So I guess Dodger fans should have nothing to worry about using your logic. That's a joke. Also, hey, Altuve, listen, he's a great player. I loved his interview after the game with A-Rod and Poppy. I thought it was awesome. But who's having a better series, Puig or Altuve? Up to this point, it's Puig. If Puig gets to that ball down the right field line, who knows how this game is going to go.
2: Steve Elkington, Elk, mate, what's going on? How are you?
1: G'day, Jimmy. How are you, mate? I'm down here in the epicenter of Game 3 tonight in the juice box.
2: You're in the juice, juice box, Elk. You've got three games right there. I know you love your Astros. Elk, first of all, what were you thinking when they lost game one and they were five outs from going down 2-0? What were you thinking about your team at that point?
1: As you know, Jim, mate, golf is my uh, my ticket. But, you know, I know a little baseball. Sam has season tickets to the Astros. Lisa and I, we watch every game. And Jim Crane's a friend of mine. Five, I think... With five outs left, it was important who the five were, right? We were coming back up to the top of the order. Um, it just seems like watching this team um, they've had such a good offensive run this season and then gone through the Boston Red Sox, going through the Yankees. It seems a little bit of destiny mate when you consider we've had this huge flood we've had boats going up and down night uh, up highway forty five not too long ago and now we have a chance to almost complete the triple the triple crown of of the biggest guns in baseball mate it just sort of has that feel about it if you know what i mean
2: i do know what you mean elk i know exactly what you mean so then you've got the game within the game like you and silk are good jungle mates yet the two of you guys were getting into it going after each other on twitter how about that beef in the middle of the game how did that feel
1: Mate, I love Silk. mean, anyone that has a tattoo right above the hippie hair that says Silk, mate, he's got to be all right, a guy. I mean, we actually haven't stood side by side and haven't had a cocktail, but I, I'm sure that that's going to happen in the future. Mate, Game 2 really was all about, you know, I know Hinchy came on the show uh, before Game 2, and that was good karma. But, mate, L.A., they sort of, Created their own drama. They, I don't think they should blame you, mate. I think Hinchy, after game one, mate, goes back to his room. Had a long day at the office. He's been standing on step three for like seven hours. He goes back for a couple of pops in the pub. Next thing you know, Dodger fan rolls up to him, and they start hassling him. And not only that, they don't even do what we do in Texas, where we roll around a little bit. They call the cops. Who calls the cops That are, when you're talking smack in a pub? I mean, what? are you kidding me? <laughs> that's the story right there. That's what
2: happened. Hey, Elk, I was going to say now, is this the story right there and is that what happened or are you speculating and assuming that that's how SoCal rolls and you're assuming that that's what happened or, or do you have some inside information and do you know what happened?
1: Don't know what happened. All I know is that Dodger fan, call the cops. You know, we you know we pack down here, mate. Some some people are packing. Some people are not packing. But you don't call the cops when you just talk smack to a guy who's just been working all afternoon. What if the guy was digging a hole or something? He's over there just having a nice cocktail in the smoke. I mean, and these people roll up on him, and they're just talking trash. They just won the game. And let, let the guy have a drink, for goodness sakes. It's been a long day, Jimmy.
2: Elk, joining us on the program. Elk, how well do you know A.J. Hinch? Have you spent some time with him, and what are your thoughts about him?
1: I have not uh, spent any time with A.J. I, don't, I, I have a lot of respect for him, because my friend Jim Crane, the owner of the team, uh, loves the guy, and our players love Hinchy, so that makes it automatically that I love Hinchy. So, uh, you know, he, he doesn't seem like he talks much during the game. He sits over there. A lot of these baseball guys, I often look at it, Jimmy, you may be able to help me with that, but They don't talk much. Uh, How do they get? How do they tell all these guys what they're supposed to be doing all the time? Or do they not? Do they all know
2: this? What they're doing? If you notice, they know what they're doing, but they also respond to a guy like that. Less is more sometimes. And if you look at elk, the young guys, look at the guys who are getting fired. Joe Girardi had his team within one game of the World Series. He got fired. Don Mattingly did a great job here in L.A. He got fired. Dusty Baker just got fired. The new breed. They're young. They're charismatic. They don't need to ride, guys. Less is more. And he's one of those guys. He's great. You would love him. The time that I've spent with him, he's one of you. You would love him. Now, Elk, Tiger Woods just pled guilty for DUI. And I see that he's online again, putting up videos of his swing. Number one, why does he do that? And number two, do you like what you've seen?
1: You know, I don't know why. He must must be sort of under some obligation to show – something for somebody whoever he is sponsored by or whatever or to appease his fan base because they really love him they love it when they put it up and you know he hit that stinger shot the other day and i looked at it and yeah the swing looks pretty good but to me jim i've seen so many swings you know i've seen so many guys that have done well it's what does the ball say what is the where is the ball going that's what i want to know i don't care what the swing looks like mate your swing looks pretty good if you put it up on Twitter. Hmm. You know what I'm saying?
2: Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. So, Elk, what do you, like, when he's rushing to get back again and there's speculation that he might even take a shot before the end of the year, what do you make of that? Is this just a matter of keeping Tiger Inc. out in front of people and in business? Or is the guy really making progress and does he need to be out there so badly?
1: It's a good question. I don't I don't think that... Um I don't think he's hurting anymore with his back. I think he's he's had it fused, so that's 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 trouble, right? That's you know, it's great to be flexible. We see all these young kids that are swinging, you know, and I, I look at them and and I think, God, man, I remember when I was that flexible in the shoulders and all that. And of course, Tiger doesn't have that now. He looks a little top heavy to me. You know, he's been looks like he's been working out a little bit, and he's to me the golf swing's all about the legs. You know, they always say. When the legs go, you go. You know, boxers say that. You know, pitchers they get they get taken out. Verlander, I think, mentioned the other day that he asked the coach to take him out. His legs were gone. I mean, to me, Jimmy, it's all about the legs, mate. And I, I just, I just, I think Tiger doesn't have big legs, and he, and he, and he's. I don't know. Uh, I think he's going to come back and play some golf. To answer your question, yes. I just don't know the effectiveness. I just don't think he can beat this group of new young players they're not scared of him I mean they tease him now I mean that never happened in the past
2: mate Elk joining us Elk I never bring you in here just to talk about Tiger but your insight about him is always so good one more thought when you say he's top heavy and it looks like he's been in the weight room again what's that all about for a guy like that to be in the weight room yet again after all this time is it vanity does he have some kind of edge that he gets mentally when he's throwing the weights around why do you think he's spending so much time in the weight room again if he is
1: I don't know if he is, but he just looks really strong in the arms and the shoulders and the, and the biceps and so on. Um, if I could, you know, if 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 I had, um, if if vanity, you know, I would have lifted weights too if if I, I thought vanity was important for golf, right? But it's not, you know. Um, I think you want to have your shoulders and and you want to have your arms be more like a whip, you know. You don't really want that that shortened muscle in the arms and shoulders. I think he. You know, he looks good in a tight shirt, mate. But uh, uh, that's not really. I can see. I can see the strain that is putting on his swing. I can see that that swing, from a position standpoint, looks pretty good. Uh, the velocity's there, pretty good. But, mate, it's it's like. He might miss the first cut. I mean, might miss the first cut in a football. Thing. I mean, he might not make it onto the tour with that. You know what I'm saying? Yes. It's what he has inside of him is what makes him great. He just needs to have a game that's halfway decent and then plug in uh, the automatic stuff, right?
3: And the math
1: has to be off, right? you got to have good math. It's like C.C. Sabathia. Dude is like the biggest jumbo-looking blob of all time, but... <laughs> He's made it work, mate. He's he's changed his action, and uh, he is you know he throws it in there with slingshot gut power now instead of just superpower, right?
2: Elk, I love you breaking down the mechanics of pitching as well. Listen, what is the latest with Secret Golf,
1: mate? I am. Uh, uh, I mean, we didn't get into that for this conversation about the World Series, but I thank you. But no, mate, we're doing great. Uh, Secret Golf. I have twenty tour players, Jimmy, under contract now, and. I'm very excited about the way we're going to be delivering golf content coming up in this next season. We'll be able to, we're working down some very exciting ways where you can get the exact video that you need for your handicap It's never been done before, and, mate, I'm looking forward to that.
2: Really quickly, who are some of the guys you've signed up? Who are some of the 20, and what have they been like to work with?
1: Well, Jason Duffner and Pat Perez. Pat just won last week in, in Malaysia, and we've got some new guys that you haven't heard of, like Bronson Bagoon, who's probably one of the guys that you will hear of in the future. Andrew Landry, who's leading this week already. I got some of the best girl players, Stacey Lewis and Jarena Pillar. Mate, I got all kind of players. And we, I like the ones that are, that are kind of old school, that can talk about, you know, the thing about the tour, Jim, everyone wants to know what we do and you know, how we get good. And, and, and I like to get players that articulate that and be able to talk in the language that all of us can understand.
2: You want to go to secretgolf.com and find out more about that. Elk is pushing out content, as always. And joining us here in the jungle, Elk, before I let you go, already this tweet says, I wish Elk called in more. He's 100 times more interesting than the average caller. Yeah, obviously. This email says, yo, Rome, a cocktail and a smoke. Freaking Elk, baby. Love that dude. And Silk, that's more astro karma, bruh. Hey, Elk, you know, the beauty of the thing is, after all this time, all these years, all these appearances, you do great with the clones. The clones see you. The clones want to chat you up. The clones always have mad love and respect for you, but you've always done so well with the clones, Elk.
1: I love the clones, mate. Uh, they have me. You know, I'm from Australia. I grew up around listening to live bands. I'm kind of Californian, mate, with a Republican base. But, hey, that's Australia. And uh, I'm looking forward to game three, mate. War Kate Upton jumping up and down in the box, and we're (laughs) going to hit the ball over the choo choo! All right, Elk.
2: And he's still America's foremost expert on travel etiquette. CJ Nikowski (laughs) joins me. CJ, it's good to have you. What's up? How are you? I'm doing good, Jim. How you been? Great, great. Really good to have you back, CJ. Thanks so much. Before we get to Game 3 tonight, can you go back to Game 2 for a minute? That was a wild, wild game. When you look back on it, CJ, what's going to stick out or what does stick out the most to you?
0: Yeah, I mean, first of all, it was a great game. A lot of fun, all the back and forth. We love that about our baseball games when we get them. The home runs that were hit, eight of them in one game. But, you know, depending on how the series finishes out, I mean, the real story was what happened there uh, with Rich Hill coming out after four innings. In just 60 pitches, and he looked like he was throwing really well. He had seven strikeouts, and and Dave Roberts decided to stick with the plan. And we know that the Dodgers are a team that are way deep in advanced metrics, and they have a plan and things that they want to do. And one of those things is being careful about letting your starting pitchers face the lineup third time around in the order, and that was part of the reason that they took him out. The thing that was a little frustrating about that is that nobody was better than Rich Hill third time around in the order when he was facing hitters. He had the lowest batting average against and the lowest OPS, but – they decided they were still going to stick with it, and ultimately the bullpen ends up blowing the game, and then you get deep into extra innings, and all of a sudden now you have Brandon McCarthy, who hadn't pitched, I think, four or five, but four or five times since the All-Star break, having to face the Houston Astros lineup in a tie game in extra innings, and that's not what you want to do. And So for me, we'll see how the series finishes out, uh, but that was a big one. I mean, the big decision in a big spot, Dave Roberts says he doesn't regret it, um, but ultimately it probably cost them the game, uh, we will see what happens here the rest
2: of the way. You know, it's really interesting what you just laid out. You know, I wonder if it worked, if it worked, would you feel the same way? CJ, would you take be like, yeah, he got away with it, but I still have a problem with that? In other words, is it overthinking it, or is it only overthinking it when it doesn't work?
0: Yeah, without a doubt. Like if they had finished that game out and Kenley Jansen closes it out, they win and they're up 2-0. We're talking about a little bit, but at the same time we're saying, well, that's just kind of the trend of the game, and you got to trust the process because it's worked all year. Go to Los Angeles Dodgers. I still wouldn't like it. I know a lot of guys uh, don't like it. Starting pitchers certainly don't like it. Guys that are already retired. John Smoltz talks about it all the time and has throughout the postseason. Uh, He doesn't love it either. Uh, Ultimately, it is about winning and whatever it takes. And so had the bullpen come through in that spot, uh, we probably wouldn't be giving them nearly as much heat as we have. So uh, I don't like it any more or less because of it. Um, It is where we are with a lot of these teams. They're just not going to give those guys those opportunities. And I will say this. You always want to be a batter ahead as opposed to a batter behind when you're talking about taking a pitcher out of a game. You'd rather be a little proactive and say, "Okay, maybe I got a little aggressive as opposed to being reactive when it's too late.
2: CJ Nikowski joining us. All right, so tonight's Game 3. You've got you, Darvish, and Lance McCullers Jr. Let's start with Darvish, who you're familiar with from his time with the Rangers. He's been excellent in his last five starts. So what are you expecting to see from him tonight, especially given that he's pitching in Houston?
0: Yeah, so he loves it there. He has been really good at that ballpark over the course of his career it's only been six starts and we always use that phrase small sample size but five of those starts he absolutely dominated he did have one bad one and i've said and it's kind of my own little theory that i feel like for whatever reason that ballpark is the one that he's most comfortable in and it may be because first of all he's pitching you know with the roof closed and you don't which he has done throughout his entire career in japan he's been really good at the trop two down in tampa so i think he loves pitching indoors that's the way he broke into professional baseball and so I think Minute Maid Park kind of gives him as close to the feel as he's has here in the state that he did at home when he was so great uh, over at MPB for the uh, Ham Fighters. Uh, so we will see um, how that goes. Great slider from you, Darvis. That has been the story, really, of his career. He's got one of the best in the game uh, to get a little dirty on you, one of the top spin rates on that slider. Uh, he has dominated this lineup. And so even though those guys are familiar with him, I'm not sure how much it matters. I mean, this is just position A for the Dodgers. It made all the sense in the world for them to push him back to game three so that he could pitch on the road in this ballpark. He's been so good
2: there. All right, so let me keep you on that topic. You tweeted out a great graphic earlier today, breaking down the spin rate on the breaking pitches that Darvish and McCullers throw. McCullers closed out game seven against the Yanks with 24 straight breaking balls. (laughs) So if you're the Dodgers, how do you go about dealing with those breaking pitches?
0: Yeah, it's tough. I mean, listen, there's no two ways about it. There used to be that old adage. I think it was Willie Mays that said, "You know, how do you best hit the breaking ball? Don't miss the fastball." Mm, You know, but they got to give you those fastballs too. And 24 in a row was absurd, and we're not. I don't think we're going to see anything like that. It did have a lot to do with the lineup, right? I mean, you think about how you game plan. You take your best pitch, and you realize, you know what? These guys aren't good on curveballs, and he just kept throwing it and throwing it and throwing it. We really haven't seen anything like that before with domination of just one pitch for that long. Um, from a starter coming out of the bullpen so you'll definitely see more of his full repertoire but he's got a good fastball too man that's the other thing as much as that curveball is good his fastball will get into the mid to upper 90s he's not afraid to throw he's not to, not afraid to go up and in knock guys down so that he'll keep them off the curveball as well and open up the outside part of the plate so I think we're going to get a pretty good outing here good matchup you never know man one guy comes in and just doesn't feel it and he ends up egg, and we end up not having a good game but at least on paper, watching both of these guys, the really good curveball, tightest spin right in the game for Lance McCullers Jr., and then you got Hugh Darvish with his great slider. I think we'll see a lot of swings and misses, a lot of strikeouts, and uh, hopefully a really close game again.
2: CJ Nikowski joins us for a few more moments. So Dallas Keuchel said that obviously the balls are juiced. Quote, 100%, I think they're juiced. What's your reaction when you hear that?
0: <laughs> it's funny, man, to see these guys. It's funny now because I'm not playing anymore. It's right. not funny when you're playing and you feel like you're cheating, but it's funny now to see guys get worked up you know, we had that same conversation you know, right around 2000. Of course, we'd come out to find layers because everybody was juicing themselves and not the baseballs. Uh, but you always go through those phases. Now, over 6,000 home runs this year in the big leagues, we've never seen that number before. Uh, we see some swings. I mean, that Todd Frazier home run, I know at Yankee Stadium. But, man, he was out in his front foot and weight was all over the place and he still was able to get the ball out of the ballpark. Um, it's fair to raise some questions. I don't know how you ever prove it. Um, but for a guy like Dallas Keuchel, who's been around for a few years now, he notices the difference. He feels like something's up. Um, I listen to a guy like that because he's the one that's out there doing it. He's the one that's out there noticing the difference now from the last few years. And you hear guys all the time talking about, man, I'm holding this baseball, and it feels harder. Um, you know, I don't know if you're ever going to be able to come up with any kind of evidence that tells you otherwise, but these guys think there's definitely something up. Uh, with the baseball and you know i'm I'm at least going to listen but they're unfortunately they're not going to be able to have any evidence outside of the six thousand home runs
2: listen when you look at the trends in the game cj for instance joe girardi is not retained with the yankees and the guy had them within one game of the world series in your opinion is that move a one-off or is that symbolic of a larger trend when it comes to front offices wanting to have more control over what happens on the field
0: yeah this is a little bit disturbing i really like joe girardi i was a little bit surprised to see that the yankees decided to let him go i thought maybe You know, he if he wanted to do it on his own, he wanted to retire, walk away, or or just take a breather. I would have totally got that. But what we're hearing now, I mean, that relationship with the front office, how much control they want, and then also these more and more columns that I'm reading even today, talking about how they felt like, well, you know, maybe Joe Girardi was just a little bit too rough around the edges, and that does speak, I think, to a trend. And I don't think it's rough around the edges. I think it's a change in generation and saying that they want their manager to maybe be a little bit more friendly uh, with the players and try to take that pressure off maybe goof around a little bit more a la joe madden right we know that about joe madden i don't think he's a you know any kind of revolutionary x's and o's guy but he is fantastic with his players and he's fantastic with that clubhouse and he knows how to keep the pressure off those guys to make sure that they're loose and having fun you heard all those rookies all those years coming through tampa saying it's really easy to play for joe madden well obviously uh, brian cashman felt like maybe it was a little bit harder joe was a little bit tougher a little bit of that old school mentality, they have young talent now, they have more young talent coming, and maybe they just wanted a little bit of a looser atmosphere. So I do think we are headed uh, in that direction. You start looking at some of these managerial hirings, um, personality is going to matter a little bit more, and your willingness to listen to what the front office wants, because they absolutely uh, have much more decision-making power as far as what's happening day-to-day. Uh, and even how those lineups are set than we've ever seen before. All
2: right. so one last thing. I've got to get on plane today. I'm not going to make this about me, but because I think that so many people would benefit from what you have to say about this sort of thing, I cannot let you go without discussing travel etiquette. Earlier this month, you tweeted, quote, remember those annoying kids that always yelled first for everything they did in elementary school? They're fun adults to fly with, end quote. I mean, 100%. <laughs> what, what's going through your head when you see these people as adults on an airplane now?
0: I tell you what, when I feel like I almost feel a little bad when I see you know a sixty year old man trying to get past me, even though he's sitting three rows behind me and he's trying to get off the plane before me, you know, and he's and he's in such a hurry. I'm like, man, listen, I, I got to get off too. And I get it if you if you're trying to catch your flight or you've got a connection, they usually try to let those folks go first. I had a guy. Uh, earlier in the middle of the summer, he had to be pushing 80. He was at the window. I'm at the aisle, and he was actually trying to get off the plane before I did. He was in my <laughs> row on the window, and I was like, is this guy serious? And he's trying to inch his way through me. There's nowhere for me to go. I'm like, what is the rush, man? Calm down. Like, I'm going to get up as soon as there's an opportunity. I'm not going to stand up and be two inches from somebody's face. I'm going to wait till they move, and then I'm going to get up. But – it's insane, man. Calm down. Everybody's got to calm
2: down. Look, I know you're not going to insult or disrespect an 80-year-old guy who has been through so much and seen so much, but was there any part of you that wanted to look at this guy and say, come on, man, have a seat, meet. Have a no, seat, so I,
0: meet. I went with the knee up against the seat in front of me so there's no chance he could get by. I mean, I you know I did it subtly and I put it up there just so he realized there's absolutely no room for you to sit by here right now. So without saying it, you know, I said it.
2: Welcome to the jungle. My name is Jim Rome. Hope you had a great weekend. NFL, college football, World Series is now set. The Astros with a tremendous comeback against the Yankees, all of that and more. Let's get started. Cincinnati at Pittsburgh. That game had everything. Yeah! Bell! Stiff arm and he throws down the defender! Bell hit him so hard with that stiff arm. Dick ah. hit the turf and he bounced right back up to his feet. I don't know what happened or what came over me that play. see what happened? You put him in the ground. Marshawn <laughs> Lynch ran in from the sidelines. Jeff Del joining us.
3: There hasn't been a lot of dialogue, you know, between he and I on this. The only thing that was said was you can't blanking go out on the field like that. Does it matter why he went on?
2: Yeah, it does
3: matter. That's for another time, another discussion. Saquon Barkley barely
2: touched and Jim the Harbaugh I is doing as well in Michigan as he did in the smack-off.
1: Clones that don't really have families and are behind in their child support payments like your boy Sean in Syracuse. Th- that's a real
2: thing. That happened. Tell that clone to get a life. He was in the smack-off. Fielded off. by Bregman. He goes home with it. The
0: tag by McCandy. Hold on onto the baseball. He did.
2: So brass. Actually, Verlander said it was more than brass. He told Bregman, quote, you've got balls. Brass balls. In fact, that whole team does. Did you order the code? Yes, I saw him courtside. Yes, I've seen the pictures online. Emailed. I didn't order the code. Red, I ordered the extreme nachos and chili fries. You're oh, goddamn
3: right I did
2: signed Colonel Ketchup. The old line just gotta play better. A- that's an amazing thing to say to lay out your offensive line like Take that. Take some pride up front. In other words, the old I did my job, but those clowns didn't do theirs. He is Houdini. And every touchdown pass this guy throws, every sack he escapes, is going to be a little more salt in the wounds for Cleveland. Because he could have been yours, but he's not. He's Phillies, and they can't get enough of him. We are joined by John Feinstein.
3: Oh, we're playing ping pong. We're having a great time, and you should see Tiger and Phil playing ping pong together. Well, that's because they didn't want to talk to one another. Forgive my daughter in the background. She's good. She's, she's talented. You know, she, she has talent.
2: potential. I can hear it. Hey, John, will your daughter take requests? Bridget! Bridget! Albuquerque, New Mexico. Ron. It's actually Ryan. I didn't want to clarify it. It's not Ron, it's Ryan. Ah. It's not Ryan, it's Ryan. Why did you run a guy when we got his name wrong? Dude, dude, no, no, Alvin, no. quote, the host is never wrong. Ron, Ryan, whatever. Dan in Spokane.
4: Well, I have two eyes and a nose and a mouth. Ah. But who's just in? We
2: have a third guest, Sean Casey. Romy, how you doing, my man? World Series time's here again. How did the party go, and did I see you in the dunk tank?
1: Bro, you're the best man. Yeah, man. You did see me in the dunk tank.
2: My man, Cruz. You know,
3: run across the clones all over the, all over the country. So you're well represented, brother. Brother. If they can get tonight, I could see this thing done in four or five. If not, I think it's going to go probably six or seven. You could put
4: down the bottle and pick up some side cash. Get your side hustle on with the Uber Irate. That is hinging on the fact that you have a vehicle that was made before the Dodgers last won a title.
2: This Juju Smith-Schuster. Man, somebody still want bike. Team Juju for life. Sheffield, my guest. What's your favorite Ricky story?
1: Well, the favorite Ricky story, you know, he showed me a fan mail one time. A bunch of women start calling him in, telling him to wear those loose shorts. <laughs> they can see oh, his man. legs. Because <laughs> he used to wear his pants so tight. We're going to
2: California. In Canada, in uh... China, in India, in United Kingdom, in Iran, in Germany, in Japan, Spain, and France, TVC, and in Bangladesh, in Austria, in Philippines, in Republic of Korea, in Iraq, in Spain, in France, in Hong Kong, Greece. Mexico, wow, wow. wow, Detroit Tigers manager Ron Gardenhire, my guest. I appreciate Jim. It's always nice talking to you and good hearing your
0: voice again. I kind of, I kind of that.
2: Piece. Give me a break. Give me a break. Break me off a piece of that that chocolate quesadilla. A.J. Hinch. Oh, I'm pumped to be on the show
0: during the World Series as a participant. Good to talk to you. I'm in Southern California right now, even though it doesn't feel like it with the uh, the heat wave. Uh, but pretty cool experience for me. No!
5: Swing and a miss. weak strikes out, no! and that is the ball game. Twitter.
2: I blame Jim Rome the for Houston giving the Astros, Astros karma. I do not control the jungle karma. It's beyond my power. It's a mysterious force onto its own it does not play favorites neither do i i only host a radio program
4: boogie cousins
2: smoked everybody's dope didn't share it didn't say thank you i think he was bonging it
4: Hide the weight. Lock your doors. Every time my wife is at the
1: classic surgeon's office doing something to her breast, she, they're talking about this watch going for as much as $10 million.
2: It's all you. Oh, my man. come go on, get it. Go get it. Hey, Dura, they already are going to hate you. I don't want them to hate us both, all right? Robert Klemko is my guest. And if you can't
5: go bow hunting with Aaron Rodgers, you go bow hunting with his backup.
3: The Redskin mascot would be a depiction of a pilgrim extending his hand in friendship to an Indian while another pilgrim is sneaking up behind him with a gun. Bruh. Elk said he was going to try and call the show today. Elk, you're on the clock. I'm shouting
6: out
1: to you.
2: Elk joining us.
1: I love the clones, mate. War Kate Upton jumping up and down in the box, and we're going to hit the ball over the (laughs) choo-choo.
4: If i got to watch these guys toss up those wet farts,
2: Come on, I was curious to see where you were going, but then when you end up with a wet fart pass, that's when I know the call is over. I'm not going to stand up and be two inches from somebody's face. I'm going
0: to wait till they move, and then I'm going to get up. It's insane, man. Calm down. When
2: I come to LA, I'm going to whoop your ass. <laughs> Jack Pringleson. Snack Jiggleson. Jam Nicholsando. Jack Blimpleson. It's a urinal,
3: not a drinking fountain.
2: Your 16-year-old son, you 16. That's all I got. It's- Sucks, man. All right, Elk.
0: Hey. Yeah, I appreciate it, Jim, man. I love your show. North Ohio State sucks. <laughs> All
2: right,
5: Romy, thanks, man. Good night now!
2: Clones, thank you very much for listening. Check me out this weekend on the NFL Today on CBS. That's on Sunday. And be sure to download the Jim Rome podcast, dropping on Tuesday with UFC head Dana White. Have a great weekend. See you next time. We're out.